Tonight's study is just so crazy awesome. If you have a Bible, let's go to Isaiah 52. As today, we're just going to cover a handful of verses. And last time we went through Isaiah, we, we ended it in verse 12. And the reason is because I think there's actually a clear break between 12 and 13. You guys know when the books of the Bible were originally rich and they didn't contain chapters or, or verses, the chapters uh, were developed by a man named Stephen Langton. He was an Archbishop of Canterbury in 1227. So he did a pretty good job and you know, dividing up where the chapters are, but every once in a while, again, it's just a man, you know, maybe he, he should have done it a little differently here. But as we get to this section, how many of you know this is, a, this is an, a, an amazing prophecy? You guys know this, huh? I wonder if you've ever, like, studied it in depth. I wonder if we've ever done that. You know, I was thinking about this, how sometimes when our phone, you guys ever get a picture and, like, you, you, you zoom in? Do you guys ever do that? I do it all the time because <laughs> my eyes are bad. But, you know, you zoom in because you want to get a good look. You want to get a close look. Well, this is what we're going to do here. We're not just going to fly by. We're going we're gonna to zoom in. We're going to kind of camp out a, a little bit more. And so hopefully you have your Bibles. And hopefully as we go through uh, our study, that you're looking at your text, you're, 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 you're understanding it, and you're, you're taking it in. Because it really is about the Lord Jesus Christ and his cross and his crown and no matter what you're facing, no matter what your dilemmas are, what your questions are, what your struggles are, it doesn't matter what some of you guys watching online, you're going through crazy things. Understand, the answer is not complicated. It really is Jesus and, you know, drawing near to him, getting to know him more and just following him. And that's the safety we have is this, we as a church, we have to point you to Jesus. We can't point you to a program. We can't point you to that person over there or, hey, you got to do this thing over there because then we would be wrong. And that's why it's so cool to say, Lord Jesus, you know, we're going to study about you, uh, draw our hearts close to you and, and do this work, Lord, in our life. You know, I know this is an amazing section of scripture and many of you guys already know this, but studying it in depth is going to be so important for us. As a matter of fact, Martin Luther suggested that every Christian memorize this section of Scripture. I think I'm going to try. Now, don't hold me on it, okay? But if you want to bet me like 20 bucks, maybe that'll help me or something, you know? But um, sometimes we think, oh, we're too old to memorize Scripture. But we should. The Bible says, your word I've hidden in my heart that I won't sin against you. I'll tell you what, this is, I think I agree with Martin Luther, this is a great section to, to memorize. You know, Kyle and Delich said this about this section of Scripture. It said, it is the unraveling of Psalm 22. It forms the center of this wonderful book of consolation, which is Isaiah 40 through 66, and is the most central, the deepest, and the loftiest thing that the Old Testament prophecy has ever achieved. It looks as if it was written beneath the cross of Golgotha, which we know is uh, in reference to Calvary, right? And so it's such an important section. We're going to see that not only will we get a good look at the cross and vicarious salvation, but we're going to get a closer look at Jesus Christ, the man and Messiah, 
And really at the end of the day, in the midst of the mess that we're in, he is the key. Because of these people that are struggling, whatever sin it might be, you know what they ultimately need? They need to get saved. They need Jesus. And that's why this is such an important section of Scripture. The devil doesn't want you to know it. Uh, he'll do everything he can so that when you come to this section of Scripture, you just fly by. That when you're here and you're studying it, that you're thinking about in and out. No, this is such an important passage. I, I pray that we would be focused on what God has written down for us. Isaiah 53 has been called the torture chamber of the rabbis. Why is that? Because the Jewish rabbis acknowledge this. It is so clear in his presentation of Jesus Christ. Did you know that Isaiah 53 is omitted from the daily synagogue readings? They don't read this. Why? Because they know this is powerful prophecy in reference to Jesus. Now, the Jews think that this servant is Israel. But when you read it, there is no way that this servant is Israel because this servant is, there's a dichotomy between the servant and Israel. This servant was perfect. This servant was a sacrifice for the sins of the world. How could this servant be Israel? We're going to see it. It's clearly in reference uh, to Jesus. And so I remember that time in the book of Acts, chapter 8. When you get a chance, I encourage you to read it. But remember when the Ethiopian eunuch was, uh, he had gone to the temple and, and he was leaving and more than likely he was empty because there was nothing but religion there and Pharisees, they were all caught up in themselves. But he did purchase a scroll of the book of Isaiah. And so there he was and you read it in Acts chapter 8. The Lord sent Philip there supernaturally, Right? And when he was there, the Holy Spirit told Philip to go and overtake the chariot. And there the eunuch was reading the, the, this section that we're going to be studying today and next week, Lord willing. And, you know, the, the Ethiopian eunuch said, who is he talking about? And it was there, Philip, he said, the Bible says, and it was there that he preached Jesus to him. So it's just a beautiful section of scripture and in verses 13 through 15, we're going to see an overall summary. And so we'll kind of see a summary of the whole thing. But then in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 53, we're going to see a simple humanity. We're going to see how Jesus wasn't much different as far as the way he looked. I don't know if you guys ever think about Jesus' appearance. Maybe you think that he is this great-looking guy with, with dimples and, I don't know, your long hair, that he's just so attractive. No, he wasn't that. This is simple humanity. And then we're going to see in verses 4 and 5 tonight the purpose of Calvary. And so this is how far we'll go this evening. Um, beginning here in Isaiah 52, in, in verse 13, he writes, Behold. And behold, it means to, to look, to see, to hold on to what you're about to view. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently some translations say he'll act wisely. Uh, another translation says he'll prosper. And so when you act wisely, when you deal prudently, when you behave wisely, you, you will prosper. Here God says, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Now, as we look at this right here, 
it's helpful to know that much of what we're going to read, yes, has to do with Jesus' suffering, saving, sacrifice, one of the primary points in this passage, but it's not just salvation. As a matter of fact, some commentators believe that the overarching message is exaltation. Because when you die, when you humble yourself in God's kingdom, when you humble yourself, then he exalts you. He, the Bible talks about this over and over and over again. You know, we read something similar in Philippians chapter 2 in verses 8 through 10. It says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Wow. Therefore, the Bible says, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. Think about that. The name above every name that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth. You know, of course we know this biblical principle, right? Again, look at our text right here. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently, so I shall act wisely. And therefore, what's the reward? He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. It's what Jesus has done. I'm sure, you know, if the devil had his way, you know, the Lord would have done different things and he wouldn't have made it. I don't know if God was peccable or those questions that theologians have. Could he have failed? I don't think so. But still, you know, he acted wisely. And so he's going to experience prosperity, and so the Father exalts him greatly. Now, this is a principle we see in the Scriptures. It's the law of the Lord. Jesus said in Matthew 23, verse 12, And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You guys know, I've said it a million times, right? Before the crown is the cross. And if we want to follow in Jesus' footsteps, we should do the same thing. Take up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow him. You know, here we see God wants us to behold his servant. And the father is speaking here of his son, not Cyrus, not Isaiah, not Israel. They're not the servant. It is clearly his son. And here we see he refers to him as his servant. You know, it's interesting, and this is something that is so clear, because I did a lot of research on this, man. You go back into Jewish commentaries, and you go to the Targum, which is really the Aramaic commentary, really, on the Old Testament. And uh, up until the 12th century, up until the 12th century, the Jews believed that this servant was in reference to the Messiah, now, they didn't believe it was literal. They believed it was allegorical. But the Jews believed that this servant was in reference to the Messiah. The Targums even translated it that way. Behold, my servant, Messiah. But unfortunately, the Jews have taken this and they've said since then that is in reference to Israel, which really it, it doesn't. As a matter of fact, something interesting, if you go over to verse 8 of chapter 53, we see that he is actually distinguished from Israel. It says in Isaiah 53, 8, he was taken from prison and from judgment. Who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people. 
So there you see a dichotomy. You see the servant who died for Israel. And so the servant is not Israel. The servant is Jesus, which is another pretty awesome thing to think about, that the, the, the God of the universe, the, the one who is uh, the son, and, and as a matter of fact, Isaiah 6 says that Isaiah saw him high and lifted up. This God of the, the universe came down and he became a human being, and not just a human being, he, became, he came to serve. Not to be served, but to serve. That was his title right here, my servant. Luke twenty two twenty seven. Jesus said, I am among you as the one who serves. Matthew twenty twenty eight. the, the Son of Man did not come to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That was part of the, the servant. I mean, you know, the, sure, he did other things. He washed feet, you know, he emptied trash. I mean, he did different things, but ultimately he laid down his life. We see it again in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, how Jesus made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Now, the bondservant is the doulos. The bondservant is the one who has surrendered their rights. So this is who we're, we're, we're talking about, the Lord Jesus speaking of his son. I mean, Father, speaking of his son, behold, my servant shall deal prudently he shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Do you look forward to that day? Don't you look forward to that day that Jesus Christ will rule and reign in righteousness? You know, it's going to be an amazing time. You know, the, the father here, speaking of his son, says he behaves wisely. He deals prudently. Um, and, and what we find when I, when I was reading this right here, I, I was thinking about David for some reason. I was thinking about David because recently I just got through reading through the life of David in 1 Samuel 18, 5. It says, so David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. And Saul sent him over the men of war and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. I mean, David, whatever situation he found himself in, he wasn't a fool. He didn't blow his witness. He behaved wisely and you know, he kind of got promoted. Same thing in 1 Samuel 18, 14, and 15. David behaved wisely in all his ways. And this time it wasn't just a promotion. It says, and the Lord was with him. So it's interesting. My servant will, will deal prudently. My servant acts wisely. Just like, you know, David. David in 1830, 1 Samuel, it says, then the princes of the Philistines went out to war. And so it was whenever they went out that David behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name became highly esteemed. You know, and, and so it's something for us to emulate, but it's something for us to, to worship and adore in what Jesus did. You know, Jesus did the same thing, and, and, and then some, right? He behaved wisely, defeating the devil. Think about that, defeating the devil. You realize there are demons coming after you? Do you realize that he has a plan? God has a plan for your life, but so does the devil. You know, we see instances where the enemy came against Jesus. Jesus defeated the devil. He fought the Pharisees. Every word, every work, way, every decision, every day, all done in obedience to his father. He dealt prudently, behaved obediently. He acted wisely. This is who Jesus is. This is what he did. 
and therefore he would be exalted and extolled and be very high. Now, now in his exaltation, something interesting. Do you see the three things there? Look again at verse 13. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Now, some people in looking at that, and again, we can't be dogmatic about it, but they see three things. Number one, the resurrection. Number two, his ascension. And then number three, his position at the right hand of the Father. Where did he get that crown? Why did he get that crown? Because he embraced the cross, something that many of us still refuse to do. You refuse to die to self. And believe you me, we're not following in the footsteps of Jesus if we're clinging to our own life. You know, what do you mean die to self? Does that mean that I can't have, you know, chocolate anymore? Maybe, I don't know. Ultimately, what it means is we have to be obedient to God. You know, and there's so much pride in us. There's so much pride. And, and there's none in Him. I mean, just a humble God that we serve. You know, consider these steps of resurrection, ascension, and position. Even the word very, he shall be exalted and sold and be very high, is intended to be taken as the final result. How the servant of Yahweh, rising from stage to stage, reaches at last an immeasurable height, and he towers above everyone else. This is what Jesus will receive, that that position, that power forever because of the fact that he was willing to be a servant, willing to suffer and to lay down his life. Look at verse 14. It says, Just as, as many were astonished at you, they, they were appalled, awestruck. Um, so his visage or his appearance, his face, was marred or literally disfigured more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. Now, now there, there's a slight possibility that the first part of verse 14 is in reference to, to Israel. Um, where, so you read it like this, just as many were astonished at, at you, at kind of what Israel's gone through, so his visage, now it's Jesus, was marred more than any man. Now there, are, there are a few people who believe that, but more than likely you can even just take out the word um, so and you could just, it's all in reference to Jesus. Many were astonished at, at him. His visage was marred more than any man in his form, more than the sons of men. And Jesus, you know, and, and I know, I don't know, you know, I don't know, have you guys hurt lately? Some of you guys have. My heart goes out to you. You know, some of you live in perpetual pain. You live in chronic pain every day of your life, huh? Some of you guys here, you don't. We don't hurt, thank God. But man, you stub your toe and, you, and you're like, just like you're dying, you know? <laughs> you know, a little pain here, oh, especially guys, usually they can't, you know, handle the pain. But imagine the pain that Jesus went through. Why did he go through that? Romans 5, 8, it says, but he demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, he died. 
And he didn't just die. It was the death of the cross. And it wasn't just him, you know, getting beat up. It was him getting beat up by demons. It wasn't just him, you know, carrying the weight of whatever it might be, his guilty sentence. It was him bearing the weight of the sins of the world. I mean, there is a darkness of depth of darkness there that we will never even begin to comprehend. And what that tells me, that is just crazy, but it also tells me that there's a love for me that I cannot even begin to comprehend. I mean, they they looked at him and they were astonished. They were appalled. They looked at his face and his face, the appearance, his visage, it was marred more than any man. You know, they couldn't even recognize that he was human. You know, I think with Jesus, the thing about it is that anyone else would have died after going through what he went through. Because again, like we talked about, you know, when they began there in the Garden of Gethsemane, I mean, it already started with the hematidrosis. It already started with him, you know, bleeding blood out of his sweat glands. It already started there. That would make his skin fragile. Next thing you know, they're beating him. And they're just, it's not just beating him. It's like I shared with you guys before, it's the devil's one chance to beat God. So how were they beating him? They put a, you know, a bag over his face and they, and they socked him and they, with the, with the crown of thorns and, you know, the reeds and the mocking and then the scourging. And so I, I have a hunch, man, that anyone else, if it was anyone else, they would have died, but he couldn't die yet because he wasn't done redeeming the world. So he continued to walk around carrying a 70-pound patabolum, that, that, that cross being, carrying that around as just a piece of meat. See, sometimes we look, and even, you know, the Catholic Church, they have Jesus on the cross, and you can still see him. He still looks pretty good. It wasn't like that. You put a piece of meat up there, buddy. That's what the Bible says. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage, his his appearance, his face, was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. Now here we see, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 5, verse 6, And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as though it had been slain. I mean, you wonder, what does that lamb look like? Because you're, you're we're wondering, well, am I going to get to see this? Yes. We will somehow see this. You know, when you get a chance, uh, we don't have time now, but I encourage you, read Ephesians 3, 14 through 19, and it talks about the dimensions of God's love, the width, the depth, the height, the length. I mean, I think that that's basically in reference to the cross. If you ever wonder whether or not God loves you, you just got to look at the cross. You know, you don't look at your life and say, well, I don't got what they have, or, you know, things are not going all that great for me. I mean, you know what God did in order to save us when we were his enemies? This right here, we have to take it in. See, verses 13 through 15 are kind of like a summary. Look at verse 15. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him or or stand in silence at him. For what had not been told them, they shall see. And what they had not heard, they shall consider. 
so, so shall he sprinkle. Some translations use the word startle. But, but more than likely, sprinkle is, 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 a, is a better word because it pictures a servant as a priest who sprinkles uh, and cleanses the nations. You know, if you go back to Leviticus 4.6, or you can reference Leviticus 8.11 or 14.7, you'll see passages where the priests sprinkled the people for cleansing. You know, they, sometimes they used the, the oil or the, the water. Sometimes they used the blood. And, and when I was reading this, of course, we're reminded of 1 Peter 1.2. It says that we are the elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, and sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling. There's that word, sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. We see the same thing in Ezekiel 36, 25 in reference to Israel in the future. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Now you'll notice right here, it's not just the Jews now. So shall he sprinkle many nations. You know, when you see this right here, you see what Jesus will do for us. Um, when I, as I was going through this uh, text right here, um, I think I can tell you guys, hopefully you won't stumble on this, but um, there is a, I mean, you might as well call it a commentary slash paraphrase called the message. And I normally, you know, don't share it with you guys, but every once in a while I'll take a look and see what it says. This is the way they translated this. It says, nations all over the world will be in awe, taken aback, kings shocked into silence when they see him. For what was unheard of, they'll see with their own eyes. What was unthinkable, they'll have right before them. You know, why did the kings shut their mouths? Why are they silent? It's because it's something that goes far beyond our imagination, beyond what would, had ever been reported before. You know, the, the mouth being shut was the involuntary effect of the overpowering impression or the manifestation of their amazement at one so suddenly brought out of the depths and lifted up to so great a height. No, they're in awe. They're, they're, they can't speak. Have you, have you ever been there? Mo most of us haven't, huh? Usually we can talk. Usually we want to talk. But have you ever been silenced? Have you ever been in such awe? that you can't speak? Well, there's three things here that will bring us to that. Number one, the cross. Number two, his crown. And number three, our cleansing. And, and when they look at this right here, it says, kings shall shut their mouths at him for what had not been told them, they shall see, and what they had not heard, they shall consider. Now, is there's two ways to look at that. You can say, well, you know, these are guys maybe in the millennial kingdom or whatever. Somehow they got some kind of revelation and, you know, they'd never heard before and now they hear and they see and now, you know, they consider. But, but more than likely what he's saying right here is, yeah, yeah, we've heard it before. I've heard, you know, so-and-so preach it before. I, I've heard whatever, Manny preach it or whoever it is, you know, you're, I've heard it before but I've never really seen it like this. And yeah, I have my understanding of the scriptures or, you know, consider the scriptures, but man, 
now seeing the cross, seeing the crown, seeing my cleansing, I mean, I understand. That's what it says right there. What they had not heard, they, they, they finally understand. You know, I think for us now, we just have a little sliver of a surface of a glimpse of the cross and the crown and the cleansing. But in that day, many nations, oh, we're going to stand in awe. You know, we have heard it, we've read it, but the things we will see, the Jesus we will see, is beyond the ability of anyone on this side of time to be able to articulate so that you and I can understand now. Then it's going to be so amazing. You guys remember that song, I Can Only Imagine? You know, surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I think if I read this right here, that it's the latter. <laughs> I won't be able to say anything. I'll finally see. I'll finally understand. And I'll just worship. This is what we see here. This is who Jesus is. And what we find, is verses 13 through 15, in one sense, they're, they're an overall summary how how the servant is going to be wise and, and he's going to you know, do everything right and go to the cross and die. And so he's going to be exalted, right? That whole verse 14 is the cross, so how he'll suffer and be beaten beyond recognition. And so what, in the, what happens, he sprinkles, man, he cleanses us. And we're going to be in awe of that. And so he's writing this down but he's not just writing it down so that people can know what's going to happen in the future. He's writing this down so that people will get saved. Remember what we talked about last time? There's five Gospels, or you know, they kind of say that, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Isaiah. Because <laughs> Isaiah talks a lot about Jesus, huh? Remember Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14? Uh, this will be a sign to you. The virgin will conceive and bear a child and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Now the Jews look at that verse, and they're like, well, the virgin's going to conceive and bear a child. This is talking about a young lady giving birth to a child. How is that a sign? That's not a sign. That's a prophecy regarding the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. You know, Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. I mean, Isaiah is writing about Jesus, and there's many other places that we can turn to. These are probably the big ones, though. It says that unto us, uh, a child is born, unto us, a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and they'll call him Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. How could that be Hezekiah? That's what the Jews say. One Mighty God? Isn't that blasphemy? No, what we find right here is in, it's in reference to Jesus. Isaiah's writing about Jesus, and here, right here, same thing. In verses 13 through 15, we have an overall summary. And in verses 1 through 3, we see Jesus' simple humanity. Look at verse 1 of Isaiah 53. He asks the, the question, Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? 
And there's that word believed, huh? And that's a huge word for us. We know that's the gospel word. Who has believed our report or our message? I mean, who's asking the question? I'm, I'm curious. Who, who's asking this question? Who has believed our report? Is that the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit? Is it Isaiah and friends? Who has believed our report? Is it the, the church? Is it Israel? Who has believed our message? Not really sure, but I know it applies to, to us as a church. As we're going out and we're sharing the message, who has believed? Some people that you share with, you guys, and you go to the store and you go to your family's house and you invite people to church or whatever, when they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, they're saved. Think about that. That's how things happen. Sometimes we're trying to get dead people to do the right thing. Dead people are not going to do the right thing. They need life. How do they get life? By believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not here. It's here, right? It has to happen in the heart. You know, verse 1, who has believed our report, is quoted in John 12, 28, Romans 10, verse 16. Who has believed our report? Have you? Those of you guys that are watching online, have you believed? on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's so important for us to understand that's how we're saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I don't know about you, but that's how I got saved. That's how I got saved. It wasn't, you know, Roman Catholicism, they have their sacraments. No, we don't have sacraments. No, it's a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And there was a day I went forward and I accepted him, my Lord and Savior. He took away all my cuss words. He took away my desire for drugs and alcohol and all the other stuff. I mean, he just basically gave me life. How did it happen? When I believed. Guys, that happened to you too, huh? A lot of you here too. Don't ever forget that. Acts chapter 16, 31. You know, you read the story there. They asked him, hey, how can I be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Maybe there's someone out there who's watching, or maybe someone here tonight, and you, you don't realize how simple it is. You've got to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Who has believed our report? And, who, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? It's kind of interesting. It's talking about you know, salvation, and, and it's something that kind of like we you know, do, we, we, we place our faith in Jesus, how he died and rose again. He died for my sins. He rose again from the grave. I believe that. But then there's also the aspect of, of revelation. You know, the arm of the Lord, it's, that's God's saving power. We've seen it a lot as we've gone through Isaiah chapter, uh, these chapters, chapter 41, verse 10, 51, verse 5, uh, 52, 10, Isaiah 59, 16, when we get there, you know, what we find is that his holy arm is made bare for the salvation of nations. Have you guys seen that? He says in verse 2, for he shall grow up. This arm is indicating uh, in reference to Jesus and the work that he does. And, and what we find now in his simple humanity, it says in verse 2 that he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. No beauty 
necessarily that would attract us to him. And so, um, verse 2, for he shall grow up before him. Well, who's he and who's him? Right? And of course, we know that the, the he is Jesus will grow up before him. Who's that? That's the father. Right? As a tender plant. And it's just amazing when you look at this because when Jesus was conceived within the womb of Mary, right? And then he was born on that Christmas day. You know, the whole time the father is kind of like watching his son grow up in his humanity. 100% God, 100% human. Growing up before him is in reference to Jesus' humanity and not just that the father saw him from a distance, I think there's that, that cartoon. I don't know if you guys have ever seen Hercules. And uh, I forgot. The, what's the God's name? Well, that guy, you know. And he's watching from a distance, you know, while his son is growing up. No, it's not like that. Um, it says right here that he's growing up before him is in reference that he fixed his eye upon his son with watchfulness and constant care. And he saw his son grow up as a human, Jesus was this tender plant, this suckling, gathering his nourishment from the root system. But, but notice again, look at this root system. Who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. Now, now that's kind of, what, what do you mean a dry ground? It was not the best of circumstances for his son, for many reasons. One person said this, both figures depict the lowly and unattractive character of the small though vigorous beginning. The expression out of dry ground, which belongs to both figures, brings out, in addition, the miserable character of the external circumstances in the midst of which the birth and growth of the servant had taken place. The dry ground is the existing state of the enslaved and degraded nation. He was subject to all the conditions inseparable from a nation that had been given up to the power of the world and was not only enduring all the consequent misery, but this nation was in utter ignorance to its cause. You know, it's like today, a definitely dry ground. You know, there's definitely not this movement of God in the world that we live in today. You know, they don't even know why they are where they are. You know, it says right here that he has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He didn't, you know, glow. Um, today, I think in America, a lot of people put emphasis on good looks. You know, and... I mean, I, I understand you have to take care of yourself, but be careful. You know, Jesus may not have been a, a good-looking person per se, you know. And it's interesting, basically, we're going to see in Israel, they just, they were not drawn to him. They had no interest in him. I'm going to go through this real quick. Um, it's hard to imagine when you think about it, but he was the kind of individual people don't normally want to look at. They were repulsed by him. They did not esteem him. They did not think he was important. It wasn't just that he wasn't wanted. 
is that would be neutral. It says that they were, they they despised him. Look at verse three. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Verse 4 is just basically saying that he bore our sins. And when Jesus died, everyone said, well, he deserves it. Smitten by God. That, that was the mentality back then. But he was wounded, why? For our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are what? We're healed. Okay, I'm going to come back next time, Lord willing. I'm going to pick it up in verse 3. But I wanted to end there in verse 6 and just at least read that to you. Because today when I was getting ready for the study and I was just seeing what Jesus has done for me, who he is, and how one day he's going to be the king of kings and I'm going to be there with him. It just brought a peace to my heart. Yeah, life is crazy. Yeah, things are going on. But when you have the peace with God and you understand his love, you end up with the peace of God. And I pray that you guys would have that as Christians, that you would have this peace because of who Jesus is. Isaiah 26, 3, remember what it says? You'll keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you.